Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to a public shiur at the Chabura. Tonight we have the privilege of having with us for the first time Rabbi Schneer Burton. We'll be exploring the topic of creation from nothing and the tension between Rambam and the Shomer Munim on the universe's inception. About our speaker, Rabbi Burton is a senior editor at Artscroll Mitzvah Publications, where he recently edited the Kitveh Rambam, which also features Rabbi Kafech's and Rabbi Shelat's insights. He has authored three books, publishes regular essays on Torah thought on the unapologetic substack, and delivers regular shiurim. In Chabura News, last night we had our New York launch with a fascinating discussion between two Chabura teachers, J.J. Kimchi and Rabbi Amin Levi, on Maimonides and the Modern Mind. Uh, we wanted to thank everyone who came out and stay tuned for more exciting events. Uh, with that said, thank you all for joining us live and all those uh, who will be listening after. Uh, Rabbi Burton, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. I'm going to pull up the share screen and then we'll get right into things. Okay. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Privilege and a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me to um, learn some Torah with your wonderful base Madrish. Um, the topic that I'm going to discuss today is something related to creation ex nihilo, uh, Rambam's insistence that it's a cardinal principle of the Torah that the world was brought into existence, um, we can say from nothing, ex nihilo, or after not having existed. And what I'm going to address today is a certain uh, problem that Rambam raises with that idea that, again, he considers central to the Torah, and particularly a solution that seems like an obvious solution to the problem with this theory, with this belief, a solution that the Rambam did not give to a certain problem that he that he raises. Um, so... The question of creation ex nihilo, as was well known, is very important to Rambam. He dedicates many chapters in the Guide of the Perplexed to this question. And what Rambam believes about this is that, A, it's a cardinal uh, of Jewish faith, central to the Torah of Moshe and the belief of Avraham that the world was in fact created after not having existed. At the same time, Rambam believes that this fact cannot be proven from reason, from logic, from philosophy. So it's something that we take on faith. On faith, we accept it from the prophets, who to whom this was revealed um, in a super in prophetic way, let's say, because it's not something that can be known through reason alone. The most that we can do through reason is refute the supposed proofs to the alternative theory of Aristotle, which is that the world always existed. So while there may be some proofs that suggest that the world did always exist, we can refute those proofs. And that's something that Rambam does in the guide. Um, he shows why those proofs, those seeming proofs are actually not proofs. And we're going to talk about one of those today. And he can also, what he can also do is demonstrate that it's reasonable to believe that the world was brought into existence after not having existed, 
but which for now on we'll call that uh, something from nothing in English, creation ex nihilo. The most we can do is show that that is reasonable and argue, disprove the supposed proofs to the contrary. And that's what I'm going to focus on, one of those, one of the proofs that suggests that the world always existed. So I'm going to start here with the, um, with the proof, supposed proof that the world always existed. And this is the first reference. Um, this is from the Mernabuchim, where most of these sources are from. I took this from the recent translation of the Mornebuchim, the Mifal Mishneh Torah, which is an excellent and very readable modern Hebrew translation. Um, the main reason I took that one is because it's also available online. So it's searchable and it's amazing, wonderful resource. Um, so this is in... Chelek Bey's Parak Yudalad. 2.14 of the Mornebuchim. And what the Ram does, he brings the questions that Aristotle and his followers pose to those who believe, as the Torah asserts, that the world was brought into existence after not having not existing. And here's the question. They say the following. God's actions are perfect. There's nothing lacking. God does this, things that are that are Right. He doesn't do things for nothing, and he doesn't do things that are superfluous. And this, Rambam says, is something that Aristotle constantly repeats. Aristotle always says that nature is wise and doesn't do things for nothing. And nature does things in a perfect way. So therefore, Aristotle argues, look, if nature is perfect, then it should always be. Because God's wisdom is as eternal as his essence. So this is Aristotle's argument. It goes like this. It's, look, the world is not arbitrary. The whole principle of Aristotelian science, and really science in general, is that we can make sense out of things. Things are right. Things are wise. Existence is wise. Existence is right. Well, if existence is correct and wise, and not arbitrary. It's not something that just happens to be, but it's rather what should be, because it's reasonable that the world exists, reasonable and correct. Well, then the world should have always existed. This is a tremendous argument, a really powerful argument in favor of Kadmosolom, Aristotle's opinion that the world always existed. If you accept the existence of the world as being something that's appropriate and correct and a reflection of God's wisdom, well, then how could there have been an infinite amount of time where the world didn't exist? If it, God's wisdom necessitates that there should be existence, there should be, uh, the universe should exist, well, then that was always the case. Therefore, ergo, says Aristotle, it must be that the world did, in fact, always exist. So this is the very powerful argument um, for Aristotle's idea of the eternity of the world. And we're going to call that, see, we talk about the eternity of the world. We can talk about the eternity of the world backwards in time. And we can talk about eternity of the world into the future. Backwards in time is called Kadmos Ha'ilam. The world was Kadum, the world always existed. And then we can talk about Nitzchia Ha'ilam, that the world will always exist into the future. We'll get to that a little bit later. But now we're talking about Kadmos Ha'ilam, the idea that the world always must have existed back into the past. 
And the argument is, well, if the world exists because it's supposed to, meaning because it's right, because it's wise for God to generate a world, then it was wise, wise for God to generate a world 6,000 years ago or 15 billion years ago, however you like to phrase that. Uh, it was just as wise. And um, therefore, you can't look at reality and say this is correct and good and true and it's appropriate. And at the same time say, but it only started a blip in time ago, even as long as that blip may be. The world should have always existed if its existence is correct, reasonable and true. Very powerful argument. And um, what the Ramam does, he's, he, he lays out in that chapter, uh, chapter 14 of the second section of the guide, he lays out the arguments uh, against creation ex nihilo. And then in a later chapter, uh, he gets back to these arguments. And here's his response. Although I just built up this argument and I find it to be very powerful, the Rambam, when he addresses, when he refutes it, he says, this kind of argument is very weak. And here's why, says the Rambam. Because there's a lot of things that we don't know about God's wisdom. We don't know why there are exactly nine spheres. This has to do with the Rambam's cosmology, which we don't have to go into. We don't know why there are there exactly this number of stars, no more, no less, no greater, no smaller. Again, this has to do with the Rambam's cosmology. To us, the number of stars it seems to be trivial. But in the Rambam's understanding of the world, this was a very significant question. Um, the position of the stars and the number of the stars. And yet, we can't explain it. So what the Rambam is doing over here is he's showing us that although we can talk about um, reality as being wise and reasonable, there's much that we don't understand. There's much that we don't understand. And that's very important to the Rambam. And because there's much that we don't understand about God's wisdom, in other words, we can't answer why to every question. We can't answer the why of everything. So therefore, we also don't know the wisdom of bringing everything into existence some short while ago after it didn't exist. But everything flows from God's wisdom. So he's saying, yes, it flows from God's wisdom, meaning, yes, it's correct. It's not arbitrary. It's right and reasonable. However, we can't explain it because we can't explain God's wisdom. Now, why can't we explain God's wisdom? So here Rambam says something complicated, which I won't go into, um, which is that there's something that um, we call God's will as well, besides for his wisdom. And will suggests things that are inexplicable. Um, but why do we talk about God's will and God's wisdom that, does, that doesn't refer to different aspects of God? Because Ramam says God doesn't have aspects. God is completely one. But the point for our purposes is that the Ramam is saying that although we talk about wisdom, although we talk about the world being wise and true and reasonable, at the same time, we must recognize that we can't explain everything. And therefore, once we can't explain everything, says the Ramam, all bets are off. Um, in other words, we can say, we can assert that it's wise and reasonable for the world to come into existence after it didn't exist. Although, to our minds, that seems like something illogical. Because to our minds, if something should exist now, then it should always have existed. That is, it is axiomatic from our perspective. From our perspective of logic, it's true that, look, if it's right for the world to exist, it should have always existed. However, 
we can point to reality and say there are things we don't understand. And once it's true that there are things we don't understand, and Aristotle himself must accept that there are things we don't understand, because Aristotle doesn't explain everything, says Rambam, well then, perhaps, likewise, there's another feature of reality which you don't understand, which is that it came into existence after not having existed. And now this is very important. This is, I'm going to, the next quote is from Perak Chafhei in that same section of the guide. This idea of uh, creation ex nihilo, especially in the way we just recognized it, uh, we just understood it, is extremely fundamental and central to the Ramam's thinking. Because as he says here in this next excerpt, once you believe that the world was created from nothing, which is something absurd, essentially, because of what we just discussed. It's absurd from our perspective. It's unreasonable from our perspective that the world should exist while it also did not exist for an infinite amount of, we can say, time, even though there was no time before the world. But that's something that from our perspective is, is something we can't explain. But what the Ramam does is he says, once we believe that, in other words, once we believe that there's something fundamentally inexplicable, about everything, including being itself. There's something fundamentally inexplicable about being itself, which is that why does everything exist after it didn't exist? Again, back to that problem. But once that's the case, that there is something fundamentally inexplicable, then all questions fall. And here the Ramam seems to be arguing that you basically, you can't really assume that you're going to get an answer to any question, such as, why does a specific person have prophecy? Why did the Jewish people have the Torah and not another nation? Why did God give the Torah at the time he did and not at any other time? Why did he give these commandments and these um, forbidden things? So all these questions that lots of the guide is full of explaining and answering, here the Rambam says that you can answer all these questions by saying, that's what God willed, or that's what his wisdom decreed. Because he brought the world to existence in the form that he did, although we can't explain everything about the world. Remember, Rambam said earlier, we can't explain everything about the stars, why they're the number they are and the position they are. Nor can we explain um, the time that he brought the world into existence. See? So once we say that we don't understand something so fundamental as why the world is the way it is, nor why the world was brought into being when it was brought into being, and yet we say, well, God is wise and God has will and there are things that are beyond our understanding. Well, once that's the case, then we are potter from answering all these other questions and we can say, that's what God's infinite wisdom decreed, although we can't explain how. Now, it seems like the Ramam is throwing up his hands in despair or punting and saying, we can't answer any questions. And that is, in fact, this excerpt, excerpt that's what he says, but we're going to see things are much com more complicated than that. And then the Ramam says, but if you believe that the world is the way it has to be because it must be the way it is, if you believe the world is as it is because it must be so, then you have to ask all these questions. Well, in other words, if you're a pure Aristotelian, and Aristotle's whole enterprise was to show how things are the way they should be. Um, and again, things are the way they should be means Aristotle believed in God, but everything follows from God. Given that there's a God, Therefore, there should be the universe as it is, in the form that it is. Well, then we have all these questions. Why this? Why that? All these detailed questions. And according to Aristotle, we have to find an answer to every single question because Aristotle believes that everything about the world has a reason. 
And the Rambam says, we can't do that. That would be impossible. And therefore, we don't um, accept Aristotle's opinion of the eternity of the universe. Okay, so so I think if this, you're not familiar with this whole discussion, I think you're learning now that the concept of the eternity of the universe is not just a question of, you know, where did the world come from? In fact, Aristotle himself believed that the world derived from God. But the question is, 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 is sort of whether uh, there are things in the world that are beyond our understanding, because Aristotle believes that in the eternity of the universe, because he believes that the universe is explicable. Explicable means it follows logic, it follows reason, and reason is eternal, um, therefore the universe is eternal. And the Rambam, by disputing the eternity of the universe, the kadmos, um, and I say kadmos because the Rambam, as we'll see later, does believe that the universe is eternal into the future. He just believes that the world was brought into existence at a point in time. Um, by disputing that, the Rambam is taking an anti-reason stance. And that's essentially his answer to the question of, well, isn't it unreasonable for the world to be made to exist after it didn't exist? And his answer is, yeah, but look, so many things are unreasonable anyways. So clearly God's wisdom is fundamentally beyond our um, complete understanding. Okay, so that's, so far we have the question and answer here um, on, on the position of the Torah's position, which is important for Moshe, for Avram, of creation ex nihilo. Um, now what we have is something that seems to suggest that actually creation in time can be explained. And this is the question that we're going to get to. The answer that the Rambam did not give to his question of why was the world created in time, that's what we're going to uh, see right now. And this is in Perikov Ches. As I mentioned, while Rambam disputes the eternity backwards in time, Kadmos he accepts Aristotle's position that the world will always exist forever. Very important idea, and we'll soon see why this is so important. Um, that the Rambam believes that the world um, will never be destroyed, unlike, um, you could say, the Kabbalists and other Chachamim who believe that the world will eventually uh, cease to exist. Rambam says it will not. It will continue forever in its nature, in the very nature that it has today. So he says this is a Pasuk in Kahelis. Uh, Kal Asher, everything that God did, Hu Olam, Everything that God did is eternal, says Shlomo and Kahelis. And um, the reason is, says the Rambam, because it's perfect. The reason why the world will last forever is because it's perfect. So this reminds us of Aristotle's idea, right? That if the world is the way it's supposed to be, then it should have always have been the way. But the Rambam says, okay, no, that's not true. But into the future, it is true, says Shlomo, that look, the world is the way it is, not just because it happens to be the way the way it is, but rather because it's it's right, it's good, it's appropriate and correct. Well, then it will always be that way. In other words, the only reason something changes, says the Rambam, is because it's something lacking. So you have to change something to perfect it. But the actions of God, which are perfect, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense for them to be added to nor um, detracted from. Therefore, it must be that they will stay stable in their nature uh, unnecessarily. There's nothing, nothing that will move them, make them change. Okay, so... Kohala says, and Rambam, Rambam asserts that Kohala says, Shlomo says, the world will be the way it is forever because it's perfect. And here the Rambam says something really interesting. 
So there's the Pasuk in Kehelas. Everything that God did will be forever. You can't add or take away from it. And then the Pasuk continues and says, And God acted, God did something so people should fear him. Now, Ramam explains that with the end of this Pasuk, where it says, and God did things so that people should fear him, that is coming to answer a question which the reader might might occur to the reader after he reads the first half of the Pasuk. First half of the Pasuk says everything in the world is eternal and stable because it's perfect. But then we have a question. Why does the world, why was the world brought into existence? Let me make this a little bit larger because in case I'm not sure how readable it is. Okay. So while Kohalas asserts that everything that God did is permanent and stable, at the same time, we know that the that something very unstable occurred. Some some really um great change, which is existence after non-existence. So why then was the world brought into existence at time, at a point in time? Furthermore, furthermore, there are things that do change in the world, according to our belief, and those are miracles. So the, this statement that Shlomo says, that the world is perfect and will never change, because it's perfect, there are two problems with that. Firstly, there's a fundamental change at the heart of all being, which is being itself, according to the Torah, is, is a change. So why did God make that change? Why did the world, why did the state of the universe, we can say, change from non-being to being, if God's actions are perfect and permanent? And also, why do things change within the universe after it was born into being? And that's what we, that's called Chiddush Nisim, the fact that miracles create something new. What's the reason for that? And the reason for that is, says Kohalas, Lekim Asa Sheyiru Milfanov. The purpose of Chiddush, the purpose of the world being brought into existence after it didn't exist, and the purpose of miracles is to induce fear. In other words, Hidramam is adding something to the whole discussion. While till now we talked about, okay, the world is in a stable state, and it's supposed to be in a stable state because it's the way it's supposed to be. So why would it change? We say now we say, oh, you know what? Actually, there's actually something that's achieved through instability, or through the fact that there are changes in the world, and the achievement is awe, fear of God, because we fear God. When a miracle happens and we're faced with the idea that wait, there are there are things in this world that are that are that are changing and we can't rely on things being static, and there's more powers than the ones we're familiar with from the laws of science, that induces yira, fear. So there is then a reason for the fact that things change. Okay. So now I think what we're getting to over here, you see there's a little bit of a tension here at the heart of the Ramam's thought. On the one hand, he says, reason or science dictates that things should stay the same. But here he gives a reason for things to change and a reason for creation ex nihilo. The reason is that this should induce fear of God. So the question that I want to ask in the Rambam, the question I'm going to address is that the Rambam earlier claimed that creation ex nihilo is unreasonable and it cannot be explained. Because as Aristotle says, <clears throat> if the world should exist, then it should have always existed. 
And by the way, that's the same argument why Aristotle says miracles can't happen. Because why would God change his mind? But here we have an answer. Right? And remember what the Ramam say? Well, once we recognize that there's something fundamentally unreasonable at the heart of all reality, all being, then all questions fall. But here he's actually giving a reason for creation ex nihilo and giving a reason for the changing nature of the world, which is to induce fear. So the question then is, let's take an Aristotelian mindset, which is things are exactly as they should be. But let's just include in that way of thinking, Yerashamayim, fear of heaven, and say things are exactly as they should be, including that the world has within it the feature that induces awe. Because when we come face to face with the idea that the world once didn't exist, then it does, or when we see changes in the order of nature, we are filled with awe. So that itself is a feature of the world, let's say, a necessary feature. Just like Aristotle says, everything is necessary. Well, that's also necessary. And therefore, the world had to be brought into existence after it didn't. And therefore, miracles have to happen. And um, so then the question is, why does the Ramam then insist that it's inexplicable? And interestingly, um, I found that in the Sefer Shomer Munim, from Abyss of Irgas, one of the early Mekubalim, um, earlier Mekubalim, so there, it's the, the, the safer structure has a conversation between Shaltiel, who's asking the questions, and Yehoyada, who's giving him das, knowledge. And Yehoyada explains the reason why the world exists is because God, out of his goodness, um, generates being, because it's a manifestation of God's goodness. And Shaltiel asks the obvious question, if it's so good for the world to exist, then the world should have always existed. Okay, which is essentially very similar question to the one we're talking about from Aristotelian point of view, not really any different. And Yehoyada says, on the one hand, he says, well, we can't answer everything. But we could say that God wanted the world to be brought into existence after non-existing so that we should recognize, and I'm paraphrasing here because I want to focus on one point, we should recognize that the world doesn't exist by nature and necessity, rather by will. So he says something which sounds very anthropocentric. Sounds like he's saying something like the feature of the universe can be described by what ideas it engenders in us. But it's essentially what the Rambam says. He says that, you know why God created the world after it didn't exist? So that we should recognize that the, so that we humans should know that the world is not here by necessity, but rather God does things by his will. Which is essentially what I'm asking on, this is the path that the Rambam didn't take. Although the Rambam seems to suggest that this is a reason. So this very idea of let's explain creation in time. Let us give it a reason. Why does Rambam say there is no reason for it? Why can't we say the reason is because of the effect it has on us? As anthropocentric as that sounds, and by that I mean to say it seems to be a, a weak explanation of the universe that is so designed so that it should induce within us a certain religious feeling or a thought about God. But that essentially is what the Ramam himself says, that the purpose of creation ex nihilo and other miracles, as in other changes in nature, is to induce fear. So then why then doesn't he say, well, that's why the world didn't always exist, which is exactly what this passage in Shomai Munim, clearly influenced by the Rambam, but takes it to its logical conclusion, seemingly, and says, look, we can explain why the world would have once not existed, but then existed, because our relationship with God is very different when we're faced with a God who did this miracle of creation instead of a God from whom creation always follows. So it's really interesting how he's saying, 
really Aristotle's right, as in everything should follow from God in a certain sense. I mean, everything should follow from God, but what follows from God is something that's going to strike us humans in a certain way. And therefore God said, hey, let me not create the world and then create the world. And my question is, why does the Rambam, who actually gives this reason for creation in time and other miracles, why doesn't he say that that explains, that answers the problem of, uh, of why the world is created after not existing? Okay, so in order to explain, to understand this, what's happening in, in the Rambam's opinion here, we're going to go into um, the Rambam's definition of, of science or wisdom in general. And what we're going to see is that within the Rambam's opinion himself, there's a great tension between um, creation ex nihilo and, um, and science in general. Um, let's jump right in and, and you'll see what I mean. This is, this next excerpt is from the, um, Shemona Prakim, the eight chapters, the, which is the Rambam's, uh, introduction to Pirkei Ovis. And this is essentially the Rambam's psychology and ethics. Maybe you could say politics in a certain sense. But he starts off in the first chapter of these eight chapters, he starts off defining the soul the human soul, and the various faculties it has. And um, here he's talking about the intellectual faculty of the soul. And he says that through the intellectual faculty, a human knows the existence that don't change. Those things that exist and don't change, those are the subject of wisdom. Okay, so Ram's definition of chachma, or you could say science is the translation, the English translation, the Rambam's definition of science, which comes from Aristotle, as we shall soon see, the Rambam's definition of science is the knowledge of unchanging things. So the way to translate this is um, a man knows the unchanging things as they are. In other words, to know things that don't change in truth, that is the subject of science. And Aristotle makes this point. This is from the ethics, from Achaean ethics. Um, the nature of scientific knowledge in its exact sense, says Aristotle, anything we know scientifically cannot vary, cannot change. And the reason for that, Aristotle says as follows, if anything can change, then once we're not observing it, we don't know whether it exists or not. So what do you mean? Let's say you see something, right? So you say, oh, I have scientific knowledge because I saw a chair, because I know the chair is in the room. Well, if you leave the room, you don't know that the chair is in the room anymore. So you don't have knowledge about the chair. You just have sense perception while you're in the presence of the chair. To say that you have science, scientific knowledge, would mean you know something that you don't need to have sense perception because you know something higher than sense perception. Therefore, says Aristotle, the subject of scientific knowledge is that which doesn't change. Meaning, an object of scientific knowledge exists of necessity. In order to know something, you have to know what must be, because that's the only way you could say, well, I left the room and I still know the chair is there because, um, or I know the matter of the chair is there because I know that matter can't be destroyed, something like that. Um, so therefore, whatever I know is eternal. The, the, the subject of my knowledge has to be eternal because everything existing of absolute necessity is eternal. So you see how the definition of scientific knowledge leads to the idea that the world is eternal. Because let's say we say, oh, you know what? The world happens to exist today, but tomorrow might not exist anymore. 
then we don't have knowledge of the world of existence. We just have experience of existence. And um, Al-Farabi does a, a job of, uh, Al-Farabi was, uh, was the, the aphorisms of the statement of the, from the Muslim philosopher Al-Farabi was the most um, important philosophical source of the uh, Rambam's eight chapters. And he does a job here, a better job of explaining Aristotle, especially if you're not used to Aristotle's dense and cryptic writing. So let's just look at that excerpt. Knowledge and truth is what is accurate and certain for all time, not for some particular time, but not some other, nor existing at one moment and possibly becoming non-existent afterwards. For if we are cognizant of something existing now, and when time passes, it is possible for it to be abolished, we are not aware of whether it exists or not, except when we're, again, except when we're in the presence of it, which is just sense perception, not knowledge. So our certainty comes back as doubt and falsehood, and what can possibly be false is neither knowledge or certainty. Or certainty. Therefore, the ancients didn't set down as knowledge or perception what can possibly change from condition to condition, ta 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 Rather, they set down as knowledge certainty about the existence of a thing that cannot possibly change. Now, if you notice, the same way Aristotle, by defining science, he casually asserts that the world must have always existed because otherwise there wouldn't be such a thing as scientific knowledge. This also essentially implies a denial of miracles. Because let's say there's a possibility of a miracle of the subject matter of my knowledge becoming non-existent, right? I believe in miracles, so I say, okay... Um, the um, whatever the subject matter of my, let's say a law of physics that I know might change. So maybe gravity will be uh, reversed miraculously. But then says Aristotle, you have no scientific knowledge. You don't know gravity. And um, therefore the concept of scientific knowledge, which the Rambam himself, remember the Rambam gives the same exact definition of scientific knowledge, knowing the unchanging things. That definition of scientific knowledge suggests that the world is eternal and unchanging, even miraculously. So what I'm going to show you is that there is, in fact, a tension in the heart of Rambam's thinking, which is very important for understanding how he explains um, creation ex nihilo. And that tension is that although the Rambam does believe in creation ex nihilo and does believe in miracles, he at the same time, he at the same time has a certain belief in the definition of wisdom, definition of science, which in and of itself stands as a contradiction to the belief in miracles. Now, of course, contradictions have to be answered, and that's what we're going to do. But I want to show you this attention. Um, some of you might know about the controversy about what the Rambam's um, real opinion, we can say, about Cadmus uh, was. Some suggest that he actually believed in Cadmus. I don't think that's correct. I think it's very incorrect. But there's a reason why, uh, from the Rambam's writings, one can pick up this, um, I could say like a leaning towards the eternity of the world, but that's sort of part of what I'm going to explain today. That in a certain sense, the Rambam does accept the concept of the eternity of the world, i.e. the definition of science as being what is necessary. And let me explain. So let's say you're a religious person and you believe in the creation being uh, creation ex nihilo, which as we saw earlier, means that there are aspects of the world that are inexplicable, as the Rambam said. So here's one route you might take. And this route, this, this route was taken, in fact, by the Mutakalamun, the uh, Muslim theologians. They said, look, um, apparently, science is not all that it's cracked up to be. Because if we are religious and we believe that the world was born into existence when it was uh, at a point in time, that means that 
the nature of things is arbitrary. As we discussed earlier, it's, uh, things are not the way they have to be. And without going into the uh, <clears throat> more than details, there's a lot about this in the end of the first section of the Mordebuchim, Ramam responds to the Muslim theologians, the Kalam, Mutu Kalamin. What they did, they developed a theory of, of the world, which basically denied any set nature. So you see, this is in the quote in um, the next quote here. The Ramam says, Hanashim Ha'el, these people, the Mutu Kalamun, the Muslim theologians, um, did not leave reality any set nature from which we can prove the existence of God. Because, see, it's a very religious approach. Because you say, look, um, I don't take the nature of the world as being indicative of anything fundamental. I don't take the nature of the world as being the way things must be. I say, look, God could have done things otherwise. So this is just happens to be what he did, but it doesn't teach me any truth. That is a theoretical path. Once you accept Chiddush Oil, once you accept that God created the world, then um, out, when after he didn't, then you could say, well, all of reality as we know it is arbitrary. And therefore, it will be incorrect to think about the rules of nature as being somehow fundamental to thought and how we have to think. And therefore, they don't use nature to prove anything about God. But the Rambam says, this is in the next quote here in Parak Ayin Gimel, he says that a philosopher insists that reality is my witness. He does take reality as testimony for the way things should be. He doesn't think that reality is completely um, contingent on just a random or an arbitrary will of God. He considers reality as being um, correct and therefore whatever is ought to be. So the nature of the way things are is my witness of how things should be and teaches me also what's possible and what's impossible, while a religious person might respond and say, since I believe that everything was done through God's will and isn't necessary, it could have been done differently. Therefore, I don't accept reality as binding upon on me to, to consider what is um, possible and what is not possible. So I'm pointing out to a, a much broader discussion, which requires a lot more thinking, and we're not going to go into this point, but I just want to point out to this tension over here that given the fact of creation ex nihilo, one might think, one might think that let's throw all philosophical knowledge, all scientific knowledge out the window and say everything is just an observation. It's like God could have done anything he wants. He happened to do this, but we can't take what he did as somehow teaching us something about truth in a fundamental way. But the Rambam does stand with the philosophers that no, reality is a witness of what can or cannot be done. But how is that the case, given that the Rambam does believe that the world is created from nothing? So here's where we get to the solution. And we're getting closer to the solution. Soon I'll explain to you how I understand this. The question, let me say the question again, is that the Rambam does accept reality as being um, meaningful, in, and he considers the mitzvah the witness of what's possible, while he believes that the world was brought into existence after it did. And this brings us to the Rambam's admitting to Aristotle halfway in Chelek Bey's Perkhav Tess of the Mordechai. The Rambam says, "Now you know my opinion. I agree with Aristotle halfway, which is that I believe that this reality is eternal, 
in the nature that God willed. And nothing of it will ever change, except for some details of it miraculously. God could change it, but he won't. He won't change it fundamentally. However, it had a beginning when nothing existed but for God. And God's wisdom decreed that the creation should come into existence when he brought it into existence. And that what he brought into existence, the nature of that will not change. That is our opinion and the principle of our Torah. While Aristotle believes that just like the world is eternal into the future and will never end, so too was it Kadmon and did not, was not brought into existence. But that we don't accept. So what you see over here is, this is not just a matter of, um, you know, a history question and predictions about the future. This is a fundamental question about the nature of reality. The Rambam accepts Aristotle's position that the world is as it must be, and therefore the world will always be. But he doesn't extrapolate from that backwards, let's say. You see how he says that Aristotle believes just like the world will always be, so too it must have always been. The Rambam says, no, I accept the whole Aristotelian framework of Things aren't the way they are just because they are the way they are because they're supposed to be the way they are. But I don't extrapolate from that backwards. So this is the key to the Rambam's um, pshara, Rambam's compromise with Aristotle. While the Rambam agrees, while the Rambam asserts, sorry, that the world didn't always exist, nonetheless, he believes that it exists in a nature that must exist and must remain that. And I want to explain to you how we can square that circle. So here's the, how do we square that circle? If the world exists because it must exist, and therefore we say it will always exist, then how do we say at the same time that um, reality, um, at the same time we say it didn't always exist, but we're certain that once it does exist, reality is, is, is necessary and true. How does the Ramam have both of those? And then we'll take it back to that, um, to the question of why that is not the solution for why God created the world in time. The whole premise of Aristotle's science is that there's something very interesting, really the premise of science in general, is that there's something very interesting about the world, which is that we can understand it. Human beings can understand the world. That's really cool. Now we have a fundamental question. It's a really important question. Can we understand the world fully, or are there limits to our understanding? And I want you to think about the question, the debate between the Ramam and Aristotle in those terms, and then I think everything will become clear. Aristotle believes that we can understand the world fully. And what that means, it doesn't mean we will necessarily understand the world fully, but it does mean something very fundamental. It means that the world's design and the nature of the human brain, the how we think, comport with each other. We may not get there, and maybe there's always more work to do, but in a fundamental way, Aristotle says the human being is the center of the universe because he believes that the world is reasonable, which means, amazing, the world and reason, reason, the way we think, are actually, um, they comport with each other. Rambam notices that as well. And the Rambam is now willing to throw that out and say, that's a mirage. The Rambam agrees that that fascinating observation about reality, which is that the way things are and the way we think can be brought into, um, they, 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 they match. That does tell us that the world is created reasonably. 
which is another way of saying God is reasonable, meaning God does things that we understand. Now we're going to find limits to that. And one of the most important limits to that is the fact that the world is created from nothing. Another limit to that is a miracle, because a miracle defies reason. But just because we find limits to that doesn't mean we should deny that that striking feature of reality, which is that it's reasonable, more or less. That more or less, you can take two, you can take two, um, you can respond to that more or less two ways. You can say, well, if it's not fully reasonable, then reason is not interesting. And that's, as I mentioned, that's what some of the religious philosophers, the Muslim religious philosophers did. They said, reason is not king. And, the, and Aristotle says, no, reason is king. And Ramam is somewhere in between. He says, look, reason is clearly fundamental. In other words, God made a reasonable world. Reasonable means what we can know. Although, at the same time, there are some facts of reality, among them being the very existence in time, which our reason cannot fathom. So that's the Rambam's, um, that's the Rambam's um, compromise between Aristotle that says reason is everything and religion, or a religious point of view, which says reason is nothing. He says, no, reason is fundamental with some exceptions. And therefore, he says, we accept Aristotle halfway, which is to say the, the existence of the world, once it was created, it fundamentally uh, exists because it's reasonable for it to exist. The world exists because it's reasonable for it to exist, even though that very same reason should have made it always exist. So the Ramam has no problem with those two things, which seem to be in, a, in direct tension, because the Ramam says, yes, God willed a world according to human reason. And according to human reason means, because science means, that it doesn't, that it will continue to exist. So when the Rambam says, I have a scientific knowledge of something, that is, in a certain sense, a denial of miracles, because the miracles there, if you would accept miracles as somehow being common, normal, then you would say, look, I'm not using reason, I don't believe in science. But the Rambam says, no, science is fundamental, and miracles stand as the exception to that. So I want to wrap this up, and I want to explain how this answers the question, and how the Shemir Munim is, is making a move here, which the Rambam would never have done. When the Rambam says, let's go back to the question. The question was, if the Rambam gives an explanation for creation ex nihilo, which is that it induces fear of God, and miracles likewise induce fear of God, well, why doesn't that become part of the, um, the reason of reality? Why does he say, well, you know, reality is somewhat unreasonable? No, there's a reason. The reason is, like the Sherman Munim says, the reason is because this way human beings will be struck with awe. The answer is as follows. The definition of this awe that the Rambam talks of, the era that's induced by recognizing miracles and by recognizing um, creation ex nihilo, is nothing but for the recognition that human reason doesn't explain everything. That is exactly the awe that the Rambam is talking about. So therefore, when the Rambam says, okay, you know why miracles happen? Because of awe. He's not giving a reason for miracles. He's saying there's something in reality which is unreasonable. And the very fact, when we face something unreasonable, when we face something that our reason cannot explain, we are struck with awe. Awe means the recognition that the human being, which according to Ramam, is reason. The reason is the human. The fact that that 
can't it, it is not sufficient for 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 us to um work with the world understand the world and integrate into reality perfectly that is exactly what fear is so if someone cannot say it's it's, it's just an it's a it's an it's an unreasonable move but an illogical move to say okay you know why god made things in the world unreasonable here's the reason because he wants us to have he wants us to be unreasonable okay so basically what you're saying is that the world is not reasonable and that's exactly what the ramam is saying so the ramam says anyone who asserts creation ex nihilo is asserting that unreasonability is also a feature of reality. And that's exactly what Aristotle disputes, because Aristotle says, no, everything is reasonable. And when he says that God did it so we should fear him, he's not saying some anthropocentric religious move that God wants us to be religion and, and fear him. He's saying that this fa facet of reality, which is that reason has limits, that is what's called Yira. And I'll end with this last quote here. Um, you know what? Let me just run through these last two things, because it's really interesting. The Ramam when he describes the oil burning for eight days, for many years I was struck by this and never understood it. He says, uh, the way he describes it, he says, okay, they only had oil to burn for one day and, and, they, and they lit it for eight days. Okay, there was only oil to burn for one day and they lit eight days. And it's like, always bothered me because it's a non sequitur. Um, he should say, a miracle happened and, and they lit it for eight days. What's he? How do you read the sentence? You read a sentence that says only oil for one day. You know, the Rambam is not assuming we know the Gemara. He's telling us the story. There was only oil for one day, and they lit it for eight days. Uh, that just doesn't add up. You should say a miracle happened. But the answer is now we have a little bit of better understanding of the Rambam's understanding of miracles. Miracles means miracles mean things that are inexplicable. So a miracle by saying okay, a miracle happened, you're adding absolutely nothing to the story. You might as well just say, okay, there was oil for one day and they lived eight days. And you read that like, what? That's the miracle. Exactly. That something happened that cannot be explained. And um, this is the final point I want to make. The Ramam in the letter of Chiyas HaMesim says that he's different than everyone else. Everyone likes things to be miraculous. And he likes to explain everything through um, logic and assume everything is natural. Except for something that cannot be explained naturally or scientifically, then we say it's a miracle. And I think the deeper meaning of this is, it's not that the Raman believes that miracles have to be rare and therefore statistically we should assume something's not a miracle. I think what he's saying is the essence of a miracle is coming face to face with the limits of explanation. So if someone doesn't try to explain something and exhaust the possibilities of explanation, then he's just not, he's not even getting the point of the miracle. The point of a miracle is that the, the limits of, the, of human knowledge is limited and can't fathom the miracle. So we have to do that work of reaching the, the, the furthest reaches of human knowledge till the miracle can even induce that awe of telling us, hey, your knowledge is, is not sufficient. Okay, that's what I wanted to explain, and I'll be happy to uh, take questions. Thank you, Rabbi. That was really well presented and fascinating. If anyone has any questions, they can raise their hand or write in the chat box. Uh, Yessi? Yeah, hi. Uh, um, yeah, I had a question regarding the, um, according to the Rambam, is the fact that it's uh, not known, is it related to ignorance or is it to, related to irrationality? Like, um, I, I, am I clear or is it something that, that maybe one day we will understand? Or is it something that cannot be understood? Uh, 
Okay. Um, I don't know the answer to that on one foot, but essentially the question that you're asking, it's a fascinating question. Okay. Let me, let me restate the question and tell me if I'm getting wrong. Let me explain how I understand the question for everyone else. When we talk about you, the limits of human knowledge, we can mean, we can talk about one of two things. We can talk about, um, we haven't gotten there yet. One day we'll get there. Or we could talk about certain things being fundamentally unreasonable. And the question is, when the Rambam, when, when the Rambam says the miracles are, or creation ex nihilo, is beyond reason, does he mean we haven't gotten there yet, and maybe it'll be a long time till we get there? Or does he mean it's, it's fundamentally unreasonable? Is that the question? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's pretty clear that he means it's fundamentally unreasonable. Um, because if it's just something that we haven't gotten there yet, that shouldn't be so interesting. That should, that should probably be trivial. It may be historically important, but not as fundamental as, as Rama makes it. At the same time, here's where things get really weird. The Rambam, although he always insists that we can't define God, in Chelek Aleph Perek Samaches, he defines God as intellect. And that's really gets really complicated. I just want to, I can't, I'm not going to deal with the question of, well, how could we talk about God as being intellect if we can't define God? Leaving that aside. What that suggests is that all of God's actions are, in fact, intelligent. But, but, and this is speculative and it has to be thought through. I will, I will preface my remarks by saying that all God's actions are intel- intelligent. But only if you are the intellect that God is, um, do you see the intelligence of his actions. Human intellect, which is always limited for whatever reason, limited intellect will see things as being unreasonable. So it's a little bit in between your two options. I think one of your options was we haven't gotten there yet. And the other option was um, it's beyond reason. And there's something a little bit in between, which is that Reason as we have it, which is always partial, um, will never explain certain certain aspects. So it's not to say that they're irrational, but they are rational from the perspective of, of what we can call reason. So something in, in between. But that requires more. You're, you're muted. If you're speaking, please unmute yourself. Is it the same as the uh, Tamiya Mitzvot? As that, what? That, 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 as Tamiya Mitzvot. Like, there is a reason for Mitzvot, but like, all what you can give, give like all the reasons you can give, give like it means the fact that everything is reasonable, but we can. It's hard to give reasons. Um, is it the same as time? Yeah, it's not. Um, so with regard to time, yeah, it's vote, The Rambam, this is a very true point that you made which is that although the Rambam gives reasons, it's very clear that he doesn't think these are the reasons, but rather these are reasons. And that, um, in fact, we can, I think he also allows for the fact that we can give, he does allow the fact that we can give more reasons and perhaps even throughout history, the reasons could change. Uh, I think that is different from this because that's not about something fundamental to reality, to nature. That's about something historical. Uh, in the commandments, so I think I think I think that's different. I have to think about it. I, I don't, I don't want to answer that. I don't know. Thanks. And last question, if I if I may, um, sure. is it is the fact that there are things beyond reason 
related to Koach Hamedame, like that Nevo, the fact that you need something different from Sechel in order to go like to Nevo levels. Well, it's related only in the way, only in the sense that um, uh, because we're embodied, that's why we can't. Um, that's why our reason is limited. Only in that. Only in that sense. And so in other words, that... it's, not, it's not that the koach the imaginative faculty, um, is not that um, it doesn't tap in. Let's say to 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 the non reason. The non reason is just a lack. Is that we don't have full reason, and we don't have full reason because because we are embodied. And one function of the body is the uh, imaginative faculty. Thank you. Anyone else? Felipe? I have to unmute. Yes, I Okay, Rabbi Burton. Could we imagine between the tension between Aristotle and uh, Rambam? Could we imagine uh, the tension between Israel and Esav, even Amalek, you know, in the perspective, in the, in the way to relate with reality? How so? Could you elaborate? Okay, so <clears throat> Israel is a—it's it, a—it's a very specific way to to live through time. So it's a—it's a whole paradigm. So it's a—it's a sense of things and the miracle, and uh, and in it's human. On the other side, uh, Esav and further Amalek is uh, nothing special. No yesterday, no tomorrow. Everything is is uh, perpetual, without sense. Yes. Um, it's interesting. Um, I, I once heard something which is pretty compelling uh, that suggests that the Rambam believes that the belief in creation ex nihilo is only appropriate for Israel, And the other nations should believe in the eternity of the universe, which really dovetails well with what you're saying. And the idea is, see, Aristotle is, is a great monotheist, and he says, look, God doesn't change. And it's a simple God, and it's a, it's a very understandable God. And um, in a certain sense, it's uh, more monotheistic than the Rambam, because it's, it's just, it's one thing, and it makes perfect sense. And um, the complexity, the complication of creation ex nihilo is something that we, essential to our Torah, the Torah of Moshe, yeah. Torah of Tavram, but not to the general knowledge of God, which all nations are supposed to have. So there's something, there's something unique on the God's engagement with the world. You can talk about that as well. God's engagement with the world through Hashkacha and through Nisim is something that um, characterizes our role in the universe and our and our relationship with God, and not the one of the other nations. Um, does that answer your question? I mean, that's what I can say about that. What we, we, we could continue even. What's that? Um, uh, um, no, I think it's 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 really interesting. Yeah, kind of cover. Thank you, thank you, fascinating, thank you. Um, I see there's a question on the chat here, which we can kiss for Ramam two coming to market. Okay, not sure about the timing on that yet. Um, but Aristotle means by the universe equates or or stands in what we mean by God. No. Aristotle certainly um, believes in God that is that is not the universe. Uh, he just believes that the universe follows from God, and um, 
And in fact, Rambam says that those who don't understand Aristotle's position think that the universe follows from God like heat follows from the sun, as in just completely uh, like a physical almost cause and effect. But that's not Aristotle's position. He says the universe follows from God, according to Aristotle, just as an idea is the result of someone who's contemplating it. So it's it's very lofty. Aristotle, um, although Rambam disputes him on this point, his concept of God is not equating it with the universe. It's not Spinoza's. It's certainly something separate from the universe. However, the universe follows from it. Um, the reason why I believe in creation ex nihilo, yes, is, is we can't prove it through through reason. We believe it through revelation. Um, the Rambam never tells us which specific verse is the revelation for creation ex nihilo, although one reads it and one assumes he means the first verses of the Torah. Rambam never points to those. And... Um, but but he does say that it's not reason that demonstrates creation ex nihilo, rather it is um, a revelation. And that the prophets can know things through revelation that are beyond reason. Okay. So we'll close it for tonight. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Thank you so much for being with us. Hopefully we'll have you many more times going forward. And uh, the shoot will be available in recording afterwards. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure.